today, join in the celebration as we commemorate the 60th anniversary of the X-Men by studying the first ever X-Men spin-off series, The New Mutants. We go inside a key interview with Chris Claremont from 1982 and go behind the scenes sharing the original concepts and ideas that drove New Mutants, including incredible storylines that were teased but never delivered. It's all about 60 years of X-Men, 40 years of the New Mutants on today's all-new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. On an average episode of Observations, we are going to approach superheroes comic books as seen through the lens of pop culture. When I was a kid, I grabbed these off the spinner rack. I love boring you to death retelling that story a thousand times. I'm not going to do it today, but I go back with comic books. Seven years old, 1974. Uh, the bug bit me. I became obsessed. I needed to do this for a living. I pursued drawing, writing, creating comic books, and boom, 37, almost 38 years later, that is what I've been doing with my life. I I don't know even if it's a career at at this point. It's like a lifestyle. Comic books for me is a lifestyle. I grew up in the uh, 70s when uh, Linda Carter was Wonder Woman and and when when CBS made uh, the Bill Bixby, uh, Bruce, David Banner, they called him David Banner, not Bruce Banner. It was very confusing. Uh, as the Incredible Hulk, which was a smash hit on CBS. Comic book movies were not made. They were not really considered. I, I watched as they have developed, along with many of you. Uh, I watched them like grow into the consciousness of my kids as they have grown into adulthood and, and, and their relationship with superheroes a, a, as they you know treat them as if they were just the most casual uh, most uh most common you know piece of material in the culture it, like like a popular sports team captain america is like the knicks the lakers the dodgers the yankees okay they, 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 that's not how it was when i was a kid nobody in my high school you know w- w- knew who captain america or iron man was <laughs> they, they didn't i would bring comic books like what's that comic books um i hid my comic books because they were so associated with being a nerd and not cool. And what does everyone want? They want to be cool. They want to be accepted. They want to fit in. What I'm trying to tell you is now comic books are like the gold standard. They're, they're the movies that everybody gets, gets the biggest budgets. They can transform your career. If you're maybe, you know, down a few movies, you're not, you know, uh, getting the hits, you know, your agent tries to get you booked as a superhero. Boom. You're off to the races. If that, if that works, it can be transformative. So we discuss all of that and so much more on each and every episode of Rob's Observations, we are coming up on our three-year three anniversary of this show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for giving me your time. I am always appreciative. Today, we are going to jump right into the fray because, as some of you may know, it is the 60th anniversary, the 60th, 6060th, 60th anniversary of the X-Men, the uncanny X-Men. Huge. I mean, this is... This is a huge ordeal. Marvel is celebrating it in all manner of, of, of ways. As a matter of fact, there is a uh, celebration with a bunch of X-Men creators. I'm a part of that. It's uh, Thursday, I believe, uh, March. Is it? Is it 16th? I want to say 16th. 
and uh, go on marvel.com and, and it'll show you. It's got myself, Chris Claremont, Mark Silvestri, Grant Morris, and all these other great uh, different X-Men creators are joining to give memories. We're all going to have segments. It's going to be great. It's going to be a, it's going to be a great time. And all throughout this next year, we'll be doing a series of shows based on and focused on the 60th anniversary of the X-Men. You're like, Life, what can you say about the X-Men that you haven't already said? Well, in, in addition to all the new stuff you're going to hear today, I am going to admit, yes, I have done, you know, many observations. I loved telling you guys about the first Wolverine miniseries, how it was knee deep in uh, a, a novel called Shogun that, that, that took, uh, took the, took the culture by storm in the late seventies and then became a miniseries, which got a gazillion numbers, uh, that, that aired on NBC when I was in junior high. And, and, uh, that, that novel Shogun about an American who washes up on the shores of Japan and learns the way of the, of, of the Shogun, the Ronin, the Gaijin, uh, all these terms that I was introduced to. Uh, huge, again, rich, r- record-breaking ratings at the time really helped build the successful miniseries model that then just propelled through the 80s. I mean, miniseries, event miniseries became the biggest deal after Shogun. Well, Shogun was 100% the impetus for the Wolverine miniseries that Chris Claremont and Frank Miller did together. And I've loved uh, walking you through kind of the John Byrne era of, of X-Men. I've done some Rob Topsies on X-Men. I've, uh, I've talked about the, 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 the greatest, uh, comp competitive talents, uh, in, in the comics industry when I was growing up. And that was John Byrne and George Perez. And really, you know, that deals so much with the incredible acclaimed X-Men run that John Byrne did. But today we're going to take a slight detour because there's a ton of ground that we haven't covered in regards to the the 40th, we're, we're kind of on the other side of the 40th, or we're, we're, we're still within that range of 40 years for the very first X-Men spinoff. It's called The New Mutants. The New Damn Mutants. I have some familiarity with this title. Um, Maybe you do as well, or maybe you don't. Maybe you've never picked it up. We're going to talk about the origins, the impetus of the very first X-Men spinoff book. It, it, it came 1982, the graphic novel, 1983. We, we, we launched the series right on the back of the, the graphic novel. This is the period that, that, that launches the New Mutants. And this was a very different style book. Uh, it, it, it had an original mission statement. And Chris Claremont, in an in-depth interview, in one of the best comic book they're not fanzines, comic book news magazines, comic book news magazines, comic book news public publications. Uh, he gave an in-depth interview in the October 1982 issue of Amazing Heroes, number 16. It has a Bob McCloud cover. Bob McCloud would do the graphic novel that launched. Marvel was uh, doing a series of graphic novels at the time. They, they, they were high-end uh, albums, more like a European album. It was definitely based on the European format of, of releasing uh, popular comic books over in in, uh, in in Europe, both original works and reprints. You would put them out in these really handsome album formats. An album format in a comic is larger, not quite the treasury editions that I've praised of my youth so far, you know, in, in the past, but a slightly, uh, you know, larger uh, glue, g- glue bound, not, not, not stapled. 
but not the Dark Knight format, which was comic book size, but 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 glued, but a larger again, a a, a kind of you know bigger size, bigger artwork, more pages, 50, 60 pages of of, of art, maybe more. Uh, had a nice price tag on it, three ninety five, four ninety five, so they could they could actually experiment with going into what they wanted to have, which was high end comic books, high end. Uh, comics. I mean, it, they were trying to figure out how how to deliver a better package at a higher price point that would keep the money rolling in, and they they decided to go forward with this uh, early on with the the New Mutants graphic novel because they're capitalizing on the mutant hysteria that was being created over the incredible popularity uh, that that the X Men had been generating during this time. The X Men had become the far, far and away the the number one franchise uh for for comic books period not just marvel and they had been investigating ways to spin it off and this was given a whole lot of uh this was given high priority extreme high priority it was their um fourth graphic novel number four okay uh, of the new mutants i i remember eagerly anticipating it and i gotta be honest I wasn't thrilled with any of the early character designs. As a fan, I speak to you as a fan. I can re. We all remember where we were when we saw something we really liked. I talk constantly about the the, the shock and awe that I can still feel um, going to see Star Wars for the first time, which for so many people, and I can do it in a nutshell, is just it represented a breakthrough in terms of uh, content, uh, special effects, characters, pacing for for anything that was. I mean family oriented at the time because again this wasn't an r-rated movie star wars was an all ages audience pleaser but the special effects alone the birth of 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 lucasfilm the birth of of all of his special effects departments star wars just rocked me in my seat to the point that it is easy to go back and access that to this day i can access that immediately and and we remember where we were when we reacted to certain things. I reacted very positively to the new X-Men when they were they were um, introduced in 1975's Giant Size X-Men number one. I held that. I was excited. What they had uh, attempted to do connected with me. Colossus, big steel guy, bright primary colors, red, you know, yellow, blue. Look, I, I've covered this again in, in so many of the different X-Men themed podcasts. And if you go back through our observations library on any of the platforms that you may listen to this show, you will be able to access an X-Men podcast pretty much one every 10 maybe episodes. Because again, prior to the MCU uh, taking over the consciousness of, of the comic book, you know, buying public, the comic book consuming public, the comic book movie comic book merchandise consuming public the x-men was the gold standard and it was the gold standard for years and the new mutants was the very first spinoff but when i saw the art and and the artist was great bob mcleod fantastic artist like like came from the neil adams school uh continuity uh studios he had been a really accomplished embellisher uh, finisher i had seen a number of different uh fully penciled and ink jobs that Bob McLeod did, but he wasn't really an, a monthly guy, but they were giving him this chance to be a monthly guy to, to, to launch this. He was a great choice, really pretty people, beautiful lines. Uh, still to this day, I, I saw Bob McLeod at a convention not too long ago. I mean, the guy is, uh, you know, in, in his golden years and still able to do some great illustrations. He had inked uh, Herb Trimpey on G.I. Joe number one when that book launched, probably about a year before this. And whenever he finished someone, his his artistic ability was so um, just polished 
that he would enhance anyone he inked. John Byrne, Mike Zeck, Herb Trimpey. They all benefited. John Buscema. Uh, Neil Adams, I mean, again, he, he, he was taught at the foot of the master. So the art team, the art assignment for New, New Mutants is a fan. You know, because if you go to 1981, 1982, you're looking at 14, 15-year-old me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a young teenager. I'm excited about what's coming my way. It's an X-Men spinoff. That is the number one reason I'm interested in this book. First, foremost, always. But we would all come to learn very quickly that this, this book had certain parameters because in this interview that Chris gives, he is uh, not shy about telling you what he wants. When I say I wasn't excited about the characters, the cover to New Mutants number four, which shows you uh, Daniel Moonstar, uh, Wolfsbane, Cannonball, Sam Guthrie, uh, Karma, shows these characters and, and Xavier sitting behind them and, 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 and you are meant to you know, understand that this is, these are your new mutants. These five, four kids and a wolf, but you know there's a person in that wolf. Um, they are meant to be the new kind of enticements, but they're in the old Stan Lee, Jack Kirby uh, original X-Men costumes, the, the yellow and the black, which, look, I've got a story I've been drawing that I'm not sure if it's ever going to be you know, see, see print, but everyone wants to take a crack at those costumes because they think they can make those costumes sing. The one story that I did with those characters in those costumes, I, I did a beast, the beast, uh, the, one of the original X-Men. I did a series of short stories. I, I started out a, a serialized story in Marvel Comics Presents, and the opening is a flashback to them when before Beast was blue and furry, and uh, they were in their original Stanley Jack Kirby costumes and and it is exciting and right now I'm, I'm doing a story you know kind of banking on some conversations i've had over at marvel and the original x-men are included in that and i've got about 10 pages drawn not completely finished yet but everyone wants to take a crack at those costumes they're cool but they had not connected and been successful in this weird kind of they have a classic tinge to them as a matter of fact it's uh I think I've told this story before, but the editor-in-chief of Marvel at the time when I was doing the New Mutants, when I took over the New Mutants, Tom DeFalco came and uh, asked me to come to his office when I was visiting New York. And with crayons, I think I have told this story, forgive me, uh, he had taken a pinup that I had done that I'd already seen print. Cable is surrounded by uh, the existing New Mutants. And I had given them multicolored costumes. He said, hey, when we spin this off into X-Force, because that had, had now been cleared by the time we're having this discussion, He's like, what if you think every, what, what if everybody's in the black and yellows? And in crayon, he had uh, done black and yellow versions of all of their costumes. And I just was like, no, 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 that's not the way to go. So my default setting, my default setting as a fan, even when I'm now working as a pro, is to kind of be cautious about these these costumes. And yet here I am telling you that I'm going to try and approach it. And I'm going to go through another door with these costumes in the future. But having these kids in these costumes and there's no big steel guy like Colossus, there's no creepy blue demon character like Nightcrawler, there's no, you know, uh, statuesque, you know, magnificent, beautiful female with giant, you know, opal eyes uh, with, with with Storm. And there's certainly no, you know, clawed, you know, claws extended, short, little, angry Canadian because everyone wanted kind of some sort of new version of the stuff that we already liked. Well, in this Amazing Heroes, when he's interviewed about his intent for the New Mutants, 
And again, you guys, this is now, you know, 20 years since the X-Men originally launched with Stan and Jack, and it's it's roughly seven years after the launch of Giant Size X-Men number one, and they're finally going to spin off the X-Men. They're finally going to give them a spinoff book. Well, what Chris says, and it's very clear in this interview, is as a, a gentleman named Peter Sanderson interviews him, uh, It's it, here's the thing that I miss about these old magazines. Uh, one, two, three, four... Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Wow, nine, uh, ten. Ten pages where Chris talks. We don't get the depth of these interviews anymore. They're not as valued by the, the websites who want you to go for a quick link. And they've all determined that you only want to get a quick glimpse and then you mostly want video content. So so ten pages of video could be more than an hour. So So... In this world of quick hits, we, we have lost this format, but I'm so glad that I have it here. It says, Professor Xavier's new freshman class, Peter Sanderson, who did uh, the majority of the interviews in the two volumes of the X-Men Companion that I have praised so often on this show, he conducted this interview with, with Chris and even says that it's around the time he was doing the X-Men Companion piece. Uh, Chris informs the interviewer, he informs Peter Sanderson when he says, you know, why why the need for the new mutants? What's, what's the impetus? He says, um, and I quote, <clears throat> uh, this is Chris Claremont himself, the X-Men aggressively, for better or for worse, go out and seek confrontations with evil mutants, as well as contact new mutants. The new mutants cast will be at least at this stage of the concept, a much more reactive outfit. If a conflict with a supervillain or an evil mutant were to come about, it is more often than not because it came to them. They don't seek conflict. And Xavier is very careful about keeping them out of those kind of situations. He says at the point at which Xavier starts the new mutants, he thinks the X-Men who are missing in outer space during this period, this is a long, a year-long uh, storyline while, while uh, Dave Cockrum was Back on his second stint doing the X-Men with Chris Claremont, they were out in space with the Star Jammers. Uh, Binary was introduced. At the end of that storyline, the brand new uh, penciler that would do like a critically acclaimed and, and a fan favorite, arguably one of the, maybe the second best run on the X-Men ever, Paul Smith, uh, comes along to, 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 to finalize that outer space uh, storyline. So Chris is giving you a reference point, if you're reading comics at the time, you realize the X-Men are off-world. So uh, he says, uh, the X-Men who are missing in space, Xavier realizes they're probably dead. Uh, He has uh, reconciled with the fact that he's done sending kids out to get themselves killed, Claremont says. He says, the formation of this new mutants team is to fulfill Xavier's original dream of bringing mutants together and training them to use their power successfully. He says, the new mutants is, to a large extent, a return to the original premise of the X-Men issues by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, except, and here's where that Chris is not speaking anymore. I'm going to give you some of my own interactions. Again, the X-Men, the history of the X-Men, the X-Men went into a dedicated reprint book. Uh, even when it came back, it was bi-monthly. I, ironically, and just to tell you how bi-monthly, because I talked to you about it here, but it, man, this is so great. This book kind of gives you such a snapshot. In in the news section, in the news section of Amazing Heroes, where they give you a ton of the current news, it says Marvel cancels three titles and reduces four titles to bi-monthly status. And it cites in this article the bi-monthly status is because they're not selling as well. 
The X-Men went into a dedicated reprint book for the better part of three years because the sales were down, but they wanted to hold on to that copyright and trademark and had to do so by continuing to publish them. And what you were getting was new covers uh, of old stories by Stan and Jack or Warner Roth, the new, the Neil Adams stuff. Uh, they put Neil Adams and Roy Thomas on the book in the late 60s as a, a Hail Mary to save the book. And it didn't. And to this day, Roy Thomas even, even says, the guy who was running Marvel at the time and writing those books, said, I, I was stunned. Neil Adams, uh, who, who I've shared with you uh, here on this show, and if this is your first show, he is on... The, the, the Mount Rushmore of comic book artist illustrators. Neil is either the gold standard, the very top of illustrators, uh, or, or number two. I mean, my, 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 my Mount Rushmore is very clearly uh, detailed out. There's a Mount Rushmore of comic book artists podcast that I did. I dedicated an entire hour to break down my choices why I made them. Neil is most certainly on there. So now you know one of the four, but they were shocked. Neil was quite simply just a transform transformational artist. No one was drawing like him. No one was doing the rendering, the realistic drawing, the the the, the figure work. The the artwork is just in a word, it is so beautiful and pretty. It's gorgeous work, but it didn't move the needle. People had checked out on the X Men. So then, when they bring them back, they're bi monthly. In this article right here, they talk about how they they, they are reducing Kazar, Moon Knight, Dazzler, and Micronauts to bi monthly status because uh, d- due to low sales, low circulation. They still want to publish these, but they are being, in essence, penalized. The X Men, when they came back, Giant Size X Men was a bi monthly book. In the recent X Men Rob Topsy, I, I direct you to one of the most historical, uh, relevant facts about that body of work that I give the Rob Topsy to. Forgive that corny name, Rob Topsy, but it kind of rolls off the tongue, tongue after a while. <laughs> Forgive me. Uh, the the uh, the thing about that body of work is it went monthly and then and then everything started to cook. But the X Men had been people checked out. They didn't buy them. They didn't love them. Not like they loved the Avengers. Not that not like they loved the Fantastic Four. Nowhere near the way they loved Spider Man. And not not like they even loved the Defenders, which was you know going going towards 150 issues at this point in the black and yellow costumes and as quote unquote students. Uh, this concept had been rejected before. And I think I got to be honest, if, if, you know, if I had a gun to my head, uh, you know, Deadpool sword to my throat, I prefer Cyclops, Beast, Angel, Iceman, and Jean Grey to Karma, Cannonball, uh, uh, Mirage, Wolfsbane, and Sunspot. I just do. I, I, I prefer the original X-Men uh, to this group. I think this group is interesting. But from the beginning, I was interested in this for its spinoff potential. What is he going to do with the spinoff? What is Chris Claremont? He had built up enough credit with us as readers. He was, you know, the most popular writer, maybe the most popular creator in comics at the time, you know, for, for a good five years at this time. The John Byrne run was now about five years, you know, old. It started 77, 78, 79, 80, 81. Boom. He, he leaves at, you know, the December 1980 issue. The original new X-Men artist, Dave Cochran, comes back and the book is cooking. And we're going to talk about that in, in another po- podcast, how when the acclaimed artist leaves, but the momentum is there, but the book goes up in sales every month for the next decade. X-Men was the thing. So the spinoff was a very big deal. But for me at the outset, I wasn't as a fan that as invested. Now, did I buy every issue? I did. I bought every single issue. Ironically enough, uh, just... One of the things that, that is worth noting is one of the, or the, the new mutants 
who was featured in the graphic novel and then also in this first issue, Karma, was introduced in the pages of Marvel Team-Up number 100, written by Chris Claremont, featuring Spider-Man and Fantastic Four, drawn by legendary talent. At the peak of his powers, he's doing Daredevil at the time. He's, he's, he's acclaimed that this guy is just crushing it. Frank Miller. Chris Claremont and Frank Miller are the art team on the primary story in the double-sized Marvel Team-Up 100. And it introduces Karma as a threat. She can possess your bodies. She, she can, if you're coming at her, she, she locks onto your mind, possesses your body, controls your body. You know, you fall to the ground, you run, you scratch your head, you jump off a cliff. As she deems you to, then she jumps out. Karma, very powerful, very interesting uh, threat introduced in Marvel Team Up 100. She was introduced by Chris and Frank Miller, interestingly enough. And so then we're off to the races. We introduce these new characters, Sam Guthrie. Uh, we introduce Rain. We introduce Karma. We introduce Daniel Moonstar. Ironically enough, in this interview, one of the cool things about this interview, uh, which made me kind of flip, he's breaking down each of the characters, and he and he goes through, you know, Karma, and he goes through Sunspot, and then you get to a listing for a character named Psyche. P-S-Y-C-H-E. Psyche. Well, guess what? That was a Daniel Moonstar's original name before he, at some point, he doesn't even say he's deciding on a name here. He's just calling her Psyche. He says, uh, Daniel Moonstar, the American Indian who will be known as Psyche, is another new mutant whose circumstances had forced into becoming a loner. He then says, uh, un- uncontrolled, this power obviously can lead to problems and did with Psyche's pa- family. He refers to her as Psyche throughout. I don't know if they didn't get the clearance on the name. I don't know why at some point he altered. Um, even under the artwork, it says, you know, example of Psyche. Uh, these abilities could not control uh, these Abilities she could not control brought her. Psyche wants desperately to warm up to people. I mean, again, he just refers to her the entire time. Last paragraph, he says, uh, additionally, Psyche has a degree of telepathic affinity with animals, which will be able, she will be able to communicate more efficiently with Wolfsbane. Okay. So prior to publication, they changed Psyche to Mirage. And again, so you get the, the, the new mutants is out there. I am assuming it's selling well at the launch. It's, it's in the top 10 in the top five. It's an X-Men spinoff. Why wouldn't it be? One of the things towards the period that I came on years later was that all of the X-Men books were now having X in them. There's a period, the last kind of hurrah for the New Mutants was uh, it was still doing fairly well in sales, lagging maybe 100,000 units behind the, the sister, I mean, the, the flagship X-Men title. It's, it's a sister title itself. But Wolverine had been introduced and X-Factor had been introduced. They were the number uh, three and four spinoff books at the time. Wolverine got his own series after the popularity of his miniseries and was spun out of a lead feature in Marvel Comics Presents and hit the ground running and hugely popular. Obviously went to the number two status, X-Factor, which was the original X-Men. We've done an entire dedicated podcast on on X-Factor, why they brought the original X-Men back. The uh, impetus behind kind of the, the and the tension behind creating that story and bringing Jean Grey back. I highly recommend you go and look, uh, listen to the X-Factor podcast here on Rob Observations. Uh, that became the number three. New Mutants was blocked, was bumped to number four. And then, then the spinoffs kept coming. Excalibur then is introduced, a uh, really popular British, you know, uh, helmed. Uh, Alan Davis is an incredibly talented, super popular penciler at the time. And uh, Captain Britain, uh, Psylocke. So now you have this kind of British element that's entering the 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 uh, X Men family, and and, and that spinoff 
is incredibly popular. Boom, dropping New Mutants further down. Every new X-Men spinoff was dropping uh, the New Mutants further, further down. They would tie them into the main storylines. Inferno, Fall of the Mutants, all of the important uh, storylines that were that were going on. I talk about in a dedicated podcast how uh, the X-Men was how they spun it off originally they re- they realized spin-offs weren't as successful as just doubling the amount of x-men they do and it was during this period shortly after the new mutants that they realized around 85 86 hey we can double the circulation in the summers we'll do two x-men books every month and and uh, even extend it into the fall and go buy weekly with the x-men and retailers will just buy the x-men numbers period they won't worry about whether it's a spin-off we're just going to give them more x-men well by the time i got around to this uh, I had really, you know, having been a fan of, of, of this family of titles and had been welcomed into Marvel when I was welcomed into Marvel, uh, Bob Harris, who I don't think gets enough credit in, in regards to being like a great either general manager or coach. I, I watch a lot of sports, uh, talk shows. I listen to a lot of sports radio people regale successful coaches and general managers with so much respect and awe. And yet we are. Uh, traditionally don't give Bob Harris enough credit. When Bob Harris came on, when he called me, he said, I am looking to upgrade uh, basically the the names and the talent on these books, not upgrade in terms of ability, just fresh, freshen up, give an upgrade and give a, give a new, new, new uh, run of talent on these books, New Mutants, X-Men, X-Factor. That's why you got myself, Will Sportacio, Jim Lee to jump on board. It's because Bob was wanting to uh, pushed the envelope and he had sensed that maybe these books had become uh slightly stale they were still doing very well but but a, a great general manager a great coach sees what needs to be fixed ahead of time and one of the conversations that we had uh while i was drawing an x-men fill-in an x-factor fill-in uh and an, uh a new mutants annual was what can we do to really uh increase the success of the new mutants when i took over the new mutants it was the lowest selling of all the books it was at a hundred and ten thousand units the issue before me it was it had logged way behind it is now 200 to three hundred thousand sales back from the x-men book the, the flagship title and one of the things i said was can we put an x in the title like new mutants hard to say i said it the other night at dinner and i said it too fast and somebody said what did you say i said i know i need to slow down when i say it. the new mutants i said it's always bugged me that that book didn't have an didn't have an x in it hence my you know uh proposal to make it the x-force rather than new mutants we had x-force then uh, we had x-factor we had x-men we had you know double double circulation on x-men wolverine doesn't need an x you had excalibur which technically you know played off that there's an x in the title but not just a dedicated x dash like factor and men but Ultimately, we all know how this played out. We succeeded in transforming New Mutants into a a, a different uh, kind of shape altogether because this entire idea where Chris said that he wants them to be more passive, threats to come to them, we are defined by the threats that we face and the trials that we persevere. And in comic books, it's the villains. And the New Mutants had a rival school, the Hellions, that Chris introduced. But as a fan, I... I really think those costumes were ridiculously poorly designed. The purple and the uh, black kind of diagonal uh, design down the chest. I, I just, I, I wasn't feeling the Hellions whatsoever at all. Now, the White Queen, who had been introduced in the X-Men during the John Byrne run, she she piqued my interest, okay? And I, I liked everything that was going on in regards to kind of having the Hellfire Club have their own, uh, you know, version of Xavier's school. 
and those kids were nastier and kind of meaner. And look, we, we got, you know, some graduates like, like uh, an, another member of the Proud Star family as a result. I would then change his name to Warpath uh, and, and we'd be off to the races in, in the pages of the New Mutants slash X-Force. But <clears throat> the idea that the New Mutants were passive, threats would find them. Um, when I look at the early New Mutants books, and it's going to be really interesting because I'm going to tell you here in just a second. Chris had completely different ideas for the New Mutants. The whole re- the whole reason I'm doing this is to tell you all of the <laughs> all of the storylines he didn't do that he's teasing you with in this Amazing Heroes. After he does the specific breakdowns of all the characters, he literally teases you with what's to come. But let me tell you what happened in the in the early issues of the New Mutants because I've got I've got I've got them all right here and and, and flipping through them. The New Mutants. Um, battle Sentinels, a, a, a new uh, designed Sentinels team in, in the second issue. That was cool. Then they battled the Silver, Silver Samurai and Viper, which again, between the X-Men issues that had wrapped up the original Wolverine storyline that Frank Miller and Chris Claremont had done, we were all invested in Viper and Silver Samurai. Bob McCloud has left the book Sal Buscema, really capable, very, um, uh, very capable artist had, become, had come on as the dedica- de- dedicated penciler. And then there's a Mr. T guy that they're fighting on issue uh, seven. And then they're in like Roman, they've discovered this kind of uh, hidden land where everyone still thinks it's Rome. It's not time travel, but they're like in arenas and they're battling other like Roman centurions. And then, uh, you know, they battle Cerebus, who's, who's, uh, I'm sorry, Sim. (laughs) His name's Sim, named after creator Dave Sim. Chris had thrown a nod Cerebus was a really long-running, popular, uh, independent comic book created, written, and drawn by a gentleman named Dave Sims, super talented. And uh, he's an aardvark. And so Chris had made a giant, he's a small aardvark. Cerebus is a small aardvark. Chris had done a giant aardvark, like seven foot tall, super muscular, who was from hell. Mephisto, uh, Belasco, tied into to magic, uh, the, the character Ileana Rasputin magic, uh, and called him Sim, S apostrophe YM, Sim. Everybody who was buying Serapis at the time was immediately in on the joke. I, I, I would, you know, I can't imagine not knowing who Serapis is, but there's conceivably a bunch of people who are giving, getting this book off a spinner rack, you know, at their 7-Eleven or, or their, their market that weren't getting the independent comics that weren't making their, themselves to comic book source who didn't know who Sim was. So that's interesting. But so this is kind of the first year's worth of storylines. And I got to tell you, I was less and less enthused, kept buying, dedicated buying. Prior to me coming on, the, 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 just again, when I talk to you about my time on the X-Men books, let me just, um, for, 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 for the uneducated, which is fine, I have more interactions with this family than any other family that I've had in comic books. And I'm one of the most kind of uh, connected X creators in regards to, I've done issues of X-Men, X-Factor, uh, several issues of Wolverine, entire runs of Cable having actually created Cable, uh, clearly uh, stepped on and did a 24-issue run combining the New Mutants and X-Force and also have given you uh, many issues, uh, years worth of Deadpool and uh, Deadpool content. Uh, I've got Deadpool Batter Blood coming out this summer. I hope you pick it up. Plug, plug. Uh, and the Deadpool Core, which I did uh, a year on. I have done a lot of time with these characters. Uh, I, I consider myself a bit of an X-Men uh, uh, and, and, and New Mutants mutant kind of expert. 
I have put my time in on these 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 characters. I kind of know when they're working. I know when they're clicking. I know when they're troubled. Again, the black and yellow costume, you know, uh, kind of semi problematic uh, in my regards. I, I think it's it's uh, there's there's a sameness to a school uniform that's great. It means you're you know around here the school universe the, the school uniforms that are used in the schools that my kids went up through. They do them so that kids can't show off their extra swag and and show off their 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 Gucci or their Armani clothes and stuff. It's it's everyone wears the same uniform uniform because it 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 dials down kind of the swagger and refocuses that we're all kind of in the same boat together. And in in comic books, I'm not sure that that's a plus. I don't I don't think that's a, a, a an added an, an additive. I think it 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 the sameness is problematic. And again, when I came on the New Mutants, uh very excited to 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 tackle uh transforming this book because for years it really never strayed from this core concept that they were less aggressive and they were kind of clumsy, awkward kids. And I I finally said they don't have to be. And introducing a strong leader because at the time Magneto and Xavier were really the strongest voices. I felt like there was a middle ground. M- Magneto being completely you know, sinister and maniacal, which they had to return him to. Chris wanted to make him a bat, a good guy. That is historical fact. Chris had made him a headmaster of the mutants at one point, but Marvel wanted the Magneto. I talk of this on my Rob Topsy episode of, the, of X-Men, the Savage Lands. The, the, the sinister menacing Magneto is one of the most terrifying, imposing um, threats the Marvel universe has ever seen. And rather than make him this nice guy, this sympathizer, they went back to full bad guy again, which I think benefited the entire franchise. But there are things, again, Chris wanted to keep advancing certain narratives and advancing certain creative uh, and character pursuits, but they weren't always, I think, serving the story in the interest best. And Magneto backs a bad guy is exactly what Magneto needed to be. Xavier, again, as the, um, the, the person who is raising up the X-Men to what? To to serve a mankind that 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 hates and fears them. That's the entire bullet description of the X Men. They they are hated and uh, and feared by those they are sworn to protect. And the outcast among the X Men is is what we we like the most. It's why I clicked with the X Men. Was that this group wasn't like the Avengers? Wasn't like the Fantastic Four? They weren't celebrated. They had to be hidden, keep keep, keep their existence a secret, operate more um, covertly, all under the direction of a very the most powerful psychic in the Marvel universe who could mind wipe you and make you forget you even had an encounter with them. I mean, there was real potential, and that's why the X Men exploded. But with the, with the shift that I brought to New Mutants and the X Force was to get them out of this passive role and make them the aggressors and have Cable come and say, "I've seen how you all die. I've seen what's coming." In the future, you need to become warriors. You need to become soldiers in this army right now. And I said to Marvel, there's a guy who's in the middle who says, we don't have to be as passive as Xavier and we don't have to be as evil and want to oppress mankind as Magneto. We can work to to live alongside man mankind, but there are dangers among us and they have to be handled and they have to be handled what aggressively, aggression. What I brought to the New Mutants, what it sorely needed and what I am reminded by when I look back on this is an aggression. But I do digress. Look, I have still love for these characters, but here's the deal. Here's some of the stuff that Chris uh, never, ever, ever uh, investigates. Chris Claremont talks about the stories that he's going to do um, with the new mutants, but but these never happened. So so this is the benefit of the the uh, you know the time capsule that is my my collection that I'm able to share with you, bringing you this interview from literally 40 years ago. 
actually right now 41, this is from 1982. It says, uh, the initial issues of the New Mutants will deal with and eventually resolve a subplot that is carried over from the X-Men issues that are dealing with the insect-like space aliens known as the Brood, uh, nicknamed by both Wolverine and Claremont as the Sleezoids. Professor Xavier will be revealed to have a Sleezoid embryo growing inside of him, and it's beginning to make make itself more and more subconscious. He is consciously tutoring the new mutants and acting as their mentor and friend. Subconsciously, he is looking at them as prey. The Sleezoid, the brood alien within Xavier, intends for the new mutants the same fate that the brood intend for the X-Men. They are to become hosts for an entire new race of brood slash Sleezoids who will go off and conquer the world which is in part why he is forming the new mutants and he is not aware of it yet. Hello. Hello. I want that story. Uh, like, hello. Uh, the minute I, I read this before doing this show, I'm like, holy crap. This story is not realized. It is completely abandoned. Chris did not do this. This, this is something that would have completely altered my view of the new mutants early on. There is a sinister take. Somebody somewhere reached Chris, talked him out of it. Somewhere, maybe it was editorial. Maybe it was the editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter himself. No, no, no. We can't have Xavier being, you know, controlled by an alien. I, I don't know what went into the abandonment of this kick-ass storyline. But as I'm sitting here, I'm like, uh, yeah. But c- 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 can we go back and do that? The brood that Xavier is possessed by the brood and has gathered the new mutants under a sinister you know uh uh narrative i mean this is crazy so then it says then it says that this is not the only uh, like there's all sorts of unrealized stuff here chris absolutely prior to giving these scripts to bob mcleod and later salby summit completely changes this entire storyline he says in the first issue you will be introduced to the israeli son of xavier here let me let me, let me flip these pages i flipped too fast it says uh you will be introduced to Charles Xavier's Israeli mutant son. I am not misreading that. Israeli mutant son. He says, uh, this will bring back the powerful psionic Amal Farouk, uh, the very first evil mutant Charles Xavier encountered, which I believe is around X-Men 117, 118. It, it, it's the interval between them leaving the Savage Land and traveling to Japan. It's drawn by John Byrne, inked by Terry Austin. It's a powerful, awesome uh, episode where, where as a young archaeologist, think, think young Indiana Jones, Charles Xavier over in Egypt encounters in this bar uh, this powerful psionic force who has sought him out because he detects the power that Xavier has within him. And they have this giant psionic battle that is spectacular. So that is who Amal Farouk is. It says the second issue of this. Okay, let me, let me also say, we, that didn't happen. Okay, another red flag didn't happen. The second issue brings Henry Peter Guyrich of the U.S. National Security Council. Henry Peter Guyrich to the comic book reading public had become a giant force in the Avengers book, which is, again, a top-selling Marvel book, so many people knew of him. Uh, He was very famous in, again, John Byrne illustrated issues of the Avengers because he was doing both Avengers and the X-Men at this time. And on a cover, no less, Xavier, uh, not Xavier, Henry Peter Guyrich, Agent Guyrich, had been on covers of the Avengers magazines, controlling and or shutting down and dictating the new direction. There's a famous Avengers issue, I believe it's Avengers 181, where he directs the Avengers 
uh, newest roster. He says, these people are off and these people are in. And it pisses them off because he has very specifics of, of the different roles that he wants filled. And the other Avengers are told, you're not sanctioned. The government is now stepping in and controlling the Avengers team. <clears throat> it's a very interesting period in the Avengers uh, during during this time. And it was very exciting. And so he's invoking Guy Rich as saying he is coming in uh, to the New Mutants. And uh, in, he, he, he basically tells... Uh, guy uh, xavier that he is going to be collecting mutants he did something that was not this aggressive i wish it had been this aggressive he wants to basically collect mutants take them and study them and find out what makes them tick and he says uh figuring studying the mutants will make them uh as kids will make them easier to control as adults and i'm like i i would have read that too like these are really exciting approaches but the uh the 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 overall kind of arch this 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 Xavier with the brood uh, is extremely exciting to me and you know, it was something that that uh, was obviously completely abandoned it would have been a much more sinister uh, take on this team when Chris ultimately left and Louis Simonson took over writing it, again it, it it they they really leaned into kind of the clumsy team dynamic more new mutants were introduced. Uh, from from uh, Birdbrain uh, to, to Rusty Skids, I'm not sure who the authors are of those characters. But at the time, they kept expanding the roster. But they there were not they, they were definitely a secondary component to the X Men family, even to X Factor. It's like X Factor were the adults, X Men were the rogues. When the New Mutants again were folded into those storylines over those many years, that was the most exciting is- issues you'd get. And I've, I've, I've gone really on the record as I believe the X-Men, X-Factor, New Mutants, Inferno storyline is maybe the best crossover they ever did, edging out ever so slightly Extinction Agenda. Um, the Extinction Agenda, the, the best part of that is the Jim Lee issues, the Jim Lee art, the, that stuff. But with Inferno, you got Walt Simonson and you got Mark Silvestri, two ridiculously talented artists operating at the highest level. So you have now two. I was only doing layouts on the Extinction Agenda because you're like, Wifel, what about your contributions? I wasn't phoning it in, but I said, I'm doing layouts. I have to get to 98, 99, 100. That's where my focus has to be, where I do full artistic chores. So I did basically breakdowns finished by other. Um, I actually did ink a few pages in the second chapter of The New Mutants because I was like, well, these, these are fun. I'll, I'll, I'll practice my inking so I can you know get up and running for the next issues. But uh, as I've said before, Extinction Agenda was really geared toward X-Men. Inferno had, because of the Jean Grey, Madeline Pryor dynamic, those x factor and x-men were like equally important from the story perspective and then the art is just killer and raging and awesome uh but the new mutants again just kind of remained like this sideshow like the troubled kids clumsy and bringing them in and forcing them to into adulthood was the mission that i put forth which ironically ends the series because i wanted that x in the title i wanted x i, I, I felt like the new mutants suffered from an identification and let me tell you something this is something that Marvel would go on and do further down their line. They had a book, a reprint book, reprinting all of the classic new X-Men titles, starting with Giants as X-Men number one. And it was called Classic X-Men until it wasn't. Marketing said, you know, you put the you need to put the X-Men first and the classic after. And halfway through its run, they rechanged it. They 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 I'm sorry, they changed it, not rechanged it, they changed it to X-Men Classic instead of Classic X-Men because they wanted the X at the first and foremost of everything because that's how retailers and fans saw things. And they also wanted it when retailers would like so many often do and still do, they 
set the books out alphabetically. They, they list them and display them alphabetically. So they wanted all of the X's next to each other. And that is inherently one of the benefits of having the X in the title. But I thought that we would investigate today and enjoy going down the road of the earliest incarnation of the very first X-Men spinoff. Psyche never made it to print. It was Mirage. I think the passive approach always kind of hampered the book. I don't know why this initial subplot with the brood having impregnated, you know, having an embryo grow inside of Xavier and and that sinister uh, idea. And and, and I think it would have expanded the book, bringing the brood in, bringing an outer space element. You could have invited, involved uh, Lalandra, the Queen Lalandra, who was a lover of Xavier's, the Imperial Guard, who were the, you know, superhero kind of guardians of the Shi'ar, the Shi'ar Empire who were at war and a focal point of the battle with the brood. And of course the star jammers who, who were helmed by Scott Summers, Alex Summers, dad, uh, who was Corsair, the leader of the star jammers. I mean, reading back and seeing what could have been is extremely exciting. The books that we got were good. They sold great until they got supplanted by all of the other spinoffs. But as the very first spinoff, it's a, uh, it holds a, a historical relevance. It could all, almost be a, a topic of a Rob Dopsy, but it's not. Um, but New Mutants number one and the graphic novel launching these characters was very exciting. Uh, Karma being actually initially in, in, launched in the pages of Marvel team up and having a co-creator as Frank Miller is pretty cool. Pretty cool as far as pedigree goes. But the uh, I was fortunate enough last year they did a 40th anniversary. Uh, New Mutants number 30 was a double sizer. And, and again, because of my relationship with the book. They asked me to do a cover. It was great. I was able to do uh, a bunch of the characters that I had never done before. Ileana, Warlock, Doug, uh, Moonstar, Mirage. I had done some of them briefly in the New Mutants annuals, but I never really, certainly never magic. And and, and as far as untold tales go, I can tell you right now, the only story that I didn't get to do that I really wanted to do because I had to leave and and, and do Image Comics at the time, the clock was ticking, was there was a a story where... um, Ilania, Ileana, sorry, Ileana, Magic had uh, sent a psychic message, uh, appeared to to Cable, that she was bound and being held hostage in the depths of hell by Belasco, by the aforementioned Sim that I, that I mentioned uh, that was based on the, the Cerebus character. And it was going to have Cable and the X-Force, Cable and X-Force, uh, brave the depths of hell to free Ileana, and she would have formally joined. There's a double-page splash of my original... New Mutants X Force lineup that's in one of the annuals. It's got Franklin Richards on it. I don't, I, it escapes me right now. I, I only did the cover, but I did the pinups in the back. And Ileana is in a black and white costume that that mirrors some of the New Mutants costumes that I had given to Cannonball and Sunspot. And the payoff of that, the reason she's even in there, is because they were going to go into limbo, into hell, blast their way through Shatterstar, Cable, Domino, everybody, Warpath, Feral, and free Ileana from the clutches of hell. I, to this day, regret, that is the one story I regret that I did not get the time to do. But again, as I read Chris Claremont and the stories that he didn't do with the brood and the, you know, the fact that he created the new mutants out of a, out of a sinister purpose, uh, you know, that, that, that's kind of par for the course. That's what happens. Sometimes the, the clock runs out and you didn't get to tell all the stories you wanted to tell. But the new mutants, uh, I was proud to be on the book for including an annual 14, 15 issues, and then launched them into uh, a dozen X-Force issues that I was uh, involved with. And like I said, my my relationship with the X-Men is a romance that I never intend to end. I am in love with this concept, this family, and whether it's Wolverine, Deadpool, X-Force, Cable, uh, uh, proper X-Men, I intend to always kind of 
keep my foot, especially when you've created characters and you have equity in them, you want to stay interacting with them at all times. And I have, and I'm fortunate. And uh, I, I hope you enjoyed this observation walk down memory lane celebrating the launch of the very first x-men spinoff which uh, you know the new mutants has never really truly left the consciousness because like i said i just did a cover to uh x-men you know 30 last last uh last year and uh this was a big deal the 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 30th anniversary episode the 30th anniversary uh issue and so this was uh this was great the the there's a bunch of like little short stories throughout. I didn't do any of those, but it's a cool, cool book. I enjoyed doing the variant. It was a takeoff actually on new mutants 98 too. I, I, it's, it's pretty entertaining, but, uh, so yeah, that, that, that's, uh, part of the segments that we're going to be doing, celebrating the X-Men's 60th anniversary. This is the kind of stuff that I just is so ingrained in me because again, I'm such a huge fan of the concept in and of itself. So again, Thank you. Maybe you want to go back and check these issues out. Uh, that that original graphic novel, the original Bob McCloud issues are really good. He did issue two as well. I don't know when he fall, fell off, but he he didn't last long. And then Sal Buscema came in. And I don't know if Chris lost his interest. I'm not really sure. Uh, but but uh, certainly we didn't cover the Bill Sienkiewicz issues for a reason. Those are going to be their own dedicated podcast because there are people who are attempting to rewrite history in regards to those issues. And that is a very interesting thing. And we're going to come back with receipts and discuss that. But that is for another time. Thank you, as always, for listening. You guys know that at the end of each and every episode of Rob's Observations, I am uh, fortunate to read your reviews of the show. You guys have, have been so generous in uh, in, 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 in giving great praise to this show and getting the word of mouth out there. And it helps you guys. It is so fortunate in, 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 in the way that you share your word of mouth and, and your, your enthusiasm for this show. The numbers are growing. I can't believe the amount of listeners that we're adding each and every week. And that is because of you, you and you, and I will continue to do my best to bring you this podcast and entertain you and discuss comic books, uh, past, present, future, and entertain you. And uh, thank you so much. When you leave these reviews on the platforms, they reach me. I read them at the end. And uh, today's uh, <clears throat> today's review comes from Oscalibur. A-U-S-C-A-L-I-B-U-R. Oscalibur. And uh, it is a uh, very kind uh, and generous review. And again, I am always super humbled by the things that you guys uh, say and do. And... <clears throat> Our, our, our friend Oscalibur was kind enough to give us five stars. He says it's his favorite new podcast. The, the highlight is my favorite new podcast. He says the great thing about finding this podcast is working my way through past episodes while looking forward to a new one each and every week. I was excited to learn on one episode that Rob and I share a favorite comic book, Avengers number 161. While not my first comic, it was the most impactful as it hooked me with its amazing art. While the story not only thrilled but fascinated me with the history of both Hank Pym and the Avengers, the podcast is a great. It, the podcast is great not only for nostalgia but insider insights, also for the sheer joy and appreciation of comics in every episode. As an aside, I would love to hear Rob's take on my opinion that the real Hank Pym has been the greatest casualty of the MCU. He's always been my favorite character in the comics, and his virtual purge from the line has been a shame. Excellent topic for a new deep dive pod. Thank you, Oscalibur. That is a, that, I, I just, again, you guys read them, you guys write them. I will read them. I appreciate it so much. I know that takes time uh, to, to fill out the form, to send, uh, to give the stars. Thank you. We appreciate it. It helps elevate our platform. It helps elevate our voice and increase the reach of the show. You guys, I am all over social media. 
I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Uh, I love talking to you, getting your messages, your replies, your DMs. Um, at Robert Liefeld, I have a blue check. It's it's a form of verification. I know the blue check has become semi-comical, but there it is. Robert Liefeld on Twitter. I didn't get Rob Liefeld, Robert Liefeld. Um, Rob Liefeld is the imposter. Robert Liefeld is the real one. I hope to hear from you on Instagram. I am Rob Liefeld. I get, I got my, my Rob Liefeld moniker early. I was able to jump on because my wife said, you, you'll really like this platform. You'll really like Instagram. And I do. It's my photo dump of my life, my family, my drawings, my food, the places we're going. Uh, I invite you to follow me over on Instagram. I would love to um, hear from you and see you over there. I also read your messages, your replies, um, your comments. Thank you so much for interacting with me as much as you do on Instagram. On Facebook, on the Facebook platform, I have a group. It's a group. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. We continue a lot of the conversations that we have here over on that platform. We'd love for you to join us. Uh, Great art contest, sharing of comics, art. Um, all manner of discussions, please join us over on Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and beyond. It will be either myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, who will click you through. That's how you know you've reached the right forum, the right group. And we hope to see you there on Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and beyond a group over on Facebook. A couple times a week, I am on an app called Whatnot. Uh, Whatnot is a killer collectible app that is burning up uh, the space and, and is where you can get trading cards, sports cards, uh, sports memorabilia, comic books, toys, uh, Funko Pops, all manner of cool collectibles. I'm on there as Rob Liefeld. Follow me and you'll get a notification when I go live. Uh, generally, Wednesdays, Saturdays are kind of the, the days that I favor. I, I share with you my signed comics, signed toys, signed Funkos. I remark stuff, do custom signatures, uh, original art. It's all available on Whatnot. Download the app. Follow me at Rob Liefeld. And, uh, and, and you'll again, get the notifications when I'm going to go live. I hope to see you over on whatnot. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and being a part of, uh, of the discussion each and every week. I love hearing, uh, back from you and your feedback. And I just cannot thank you enough again for all the support that you've given me. I hope that you are doing well at the end of every episode. I wish you well. I wish your spiritual state, your emotional state, your physical state and your mental state, the best, um, I always tell you, uh, I, I make some cheat time with a good comic book, with a great movie, with a great streaming show, with some great ice cream, a churro, uh, a Dorito. Yes, uh, junk food. I love it. Uh, you shouldn't have it all the time, but there's a time and a place for it. And I'm recommending it to you right now with the Reese's Big Cup. Good good Lord, what are they going to put in those big cups next? Are they going to put a big cup in a big cup? Because right now they're putting like Cocoa Puffs. I mean, it's crazy. I love candy. I love comics. I um. <laughs> recommend that you do the same or maybe with a slice of pizza a big soda maybe it's a beer but also get out enjoy enjoy time with your friends and family it doesn't always have to be comic book centric that's the way that i feed and i get uplifted thank you so much i am rooting for you please swing back around see me i'll be here we will most certainly absolutely definitely and inevitably talk again real soon